0: The Christian Sabbath is a blessing and a benefit, not a tyrant and a detriment to God's people. Let us pray. Father, as we turn now to these two events in the life of Jesus, as he is yet again opposed by the Pharisees who misinterpreted the fourth commandment, give us understanding in how Jesus them and how he might correct us even today and help us see, Lord, that the Sabbath is a day we need, it's a day of blessing, a day of benefit for the people of God. Indeed, it is as if we are ships taking safe harbor to prepare for the voyage that is to come in the coming week. Bless us. With your word, bless me with faithfulness, bless us with faithfulness in hearing. For Jesus' sake and for his glory, amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, beginning with 23, and we'll read through verse 6 and chapter 3. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched to the see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, "Come here." And he said to them, "Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The immediate issue of these two events is Jesus correcting the restrictive interpretation of the Sabbath by the Pharisees but looming in the background of this event and in the previous three events that we've considered in Mark chapter 2 is the opposition to Jesus by the Pharisees now coming to the point at the end chapter 3 and verse 6 where they conspire together to put him to death so with this big picture in mind of what has been going on in the background with this opposition to Jesus let us now give us attention to the immediate issue that is that was before Jesus with regards to observing the sabbath John A. Shedd wrote a book published in 1928. The name of his book was Salt from My Attic. And it's just full of a number of quotes and sayings by Shedd. And one of the quotes of sayings by Shedd that has been used by by many as an inspiration to pursue one's calling, to achieve one's goal, to, to seek to fulfill one's purpose in life, is this. Maybe you've heard it. A ship is safe in a harbor, wrote Shedd, but that's not what ships are built for. Shed's point, of course, is that ships are built to withstand the greatest storms and to navigate through the raging seas. But we need to understand the importance, the value, the blessing, the benefit of a safe harbor. As a ship is not built just to stay moored in a harbor and rust, it is built for the open sea. Ships need to be brought into a harbor for passengers to disembark and embark, for the ship to be repaired and maintained and restocked, for the crews to have a respite, And for all the needed preparations that will be made in order for that ship to then set sail again in the open seas. Yeah, a ship's not built for a harbor, but harbors are absolutely essential. That ships would be able to function as they were designed and built. And today I want us to think about the Christian Sabbath. Sunday, the first day of the week. The Lord's Day as a safe harbor where God's people are refreshed physically and spiritually in order to set sail again on the voyage of the next six days as God's people in this open sea we know as the world. Our three points were simply this, God's beneficial command the Pharisees' restrictive interpretation, and Jesus' authoritative observances. So first, both events in our passage today took place on the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday. See this in chapter 2, verse 23, and chapter 3, and verse 2. And so we we have to ask the question, what did God command how do we understand God's command in the fourth commandment from differing views of the fourth commandment itself to man taking exceptions to our Westminster Confession of Faith on the Sabbath to drastic differences in how individual Christians and families faithful Christians and families practice the Sabbath it would be fair to say that there are A variety of opinions both theologically and practically about how one is to observe Sunday the Lord's Day the Christian Sabbath and I have no intention of wading in to those waters today except to focus on a few principles about the Sabbath that help us understand the opposition that Jesus faced and the correction that he brought to the Sabbath in these two events that we've read about today. And you'll find one giving of the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Let me read that for us. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That's, again, that's Exodus twenty, eight through 11. So the fourth commandment here in Exodus is based on, The sabbatical pattern that God established at creation. So we look at Exodus 20 verse 11. We can also go back to Genesis 1 and 2 to see that sabbatical pattern in creation. Of special note, look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 2. That text does not say that God ceased from all work on the seventh day, but that he ceased from his creative work. ...that had taken place over the previous six days. In fact, God's Sabbath continues. The eternal Sabbath, that seventh day, is still ongoing. And yet, isn't God working and governing and sustaining all that he has created? But his creative work has ceased. But then there's a second giving of the fourth commandment. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15... And I want to make special note of verse 15 in Deuteronomy 5 that gives a second basis for the fourth commandment. And here we read, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you, you to keep the sabbath day a sabbath observance not only involves the sabbatical pattern that we desperately need of work and rest as god's image bearers imaging his sabbath rest as well as his work but a sabbath observance involves celebrating remembering resting in God's redemptive work in the Lord Jesus Christ therefore I just want to make about six affirmations that we glean from scripture the Sabbath principle is a creation ordinance and therefore it is to be observed by all men in all times not just the church not just believers Secondly, this ordinance is part of God's moral law. And thus it is binding upon the church. For the people of God are set apart on the Sabbath day to enjoy him as creator and redeemer. And even as we celebrate the Sabbath day as a church, we point to him as the creator and the redeemer. Number three, the Old Testament teaches Not all work is to be ceased, but resting from one's regular labor. So again, the Old Testament doesn't say no work at all. Number four, the Sabbath should be viewed as a day of blessing and benefit, not not one of restrictions, which by the way, I think so much of the church has historically embraced, unfortunately. Our confession teaches we are to observe a holy rest, and it details what that means. But specifically, I want to point out that holy rest chiefly involves what we're doing right now, gathering for corporate worship. It also includes private worship, and it also includes finding our rest in Christ in our union with Christ. And then sixthly, refreshment and rest as we serve as God's image bearers in imaging him in that sabbatical pattern and remembering him as redeemer through Christ are at the heart of the observance. Refreshment and rest. The Sabbath as God commanded and the Sabbaths that Jesus observed should be viewed as blessings and benefit, not as a tyrant for our detriment. Secondly, I want us to look at the Pharisees' restrictive interpretation. Having having just given some basic summary, not anywhere near exhaustive teaching on just the, the Sabbath, but yet Focus on those things that have a bearing on what is going on in these two events. We want to turn now to both events and how the Pharisees interpreted the fourth commandment incredibly restrictive. We find this in verses 24 and then in verses 2 through 4, chapter 3. Years years ago, Ray Ray and I had the privilege of touring the the Holy Land, and our tour, tour guide's name was Luis. Luis, told us stories about he grew up as an Arab Christian, that is an Arab who's a non-Muslim, in the city of Jerusalem. And as a boy, Luis said, he would be out on Saturday. In fact, he learned very quickly to make sure he was out in the streets of Jerusalem on Saturday because he might get a call from a window from a Jewish person saying, Hey, little boy, could you come up here and flip the light on for me? Hey, little boy, could, could you come up here and turn the oven off? Hey, little boy, could you pop up right quick? And I'll give you a shekel if you'll come up and do this mundane task or that mundane task. Odd, odd, odd to us. But according to the Pharisaical tradition, made all the sense in the world that to turn a light switch on, to turn an oven off on the Sabbath was violating the Sabbath. And I'm sure they gave thanks for little Arab boys like Luis. By the way, in more modern times there's a guy who Jewish fellow who trained his Labrador retriever by putting sandwiches above the light switch to jump up to turn the lights on and off. Think about that. In our text today, the Pharisees accused the disciples of violating the Sabbath by plucking heads of grain. And they also accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath by healing a man with a withered hand. How dare he? In the first case, plucking heads of grain, uh, the the text infers that that the, the Pharisees were watching Jesus and his disciples. The common understanding of the day was that a teacher was responsible for the behavior of the disciples and so the Pharisees rightly asked Jesus, the teacher, the master, the question about, hey, why are your disciples plucking grain on the Sabbath? That question was really in an accusation but the issue was really not plucking grain turn to Deuteronomy twenty-three, twenty-five. it gives allowance for a person to go to their neighbor's field and pluck grain out of the necessity to have something to eat it allowed for a poor person to go to a field and pluck grain in in order to eat the issue was not the plucking of grain and by the way Deuteronomy does prohibit using a sickle which is more like harvesting to still to amass grain and to steal from your neighbor. so it did prohibit that but the issue was not the plucking of grain but the timing of the grain being plucked and it was the sabbath day that was the issue with the pharisees they viewed it as a violation of the fourth commandment in the second case, the Pharisees are described explicitly as watching for Jesus to do something over which they could accuse him of some violation. They wanted to trap him. And Jesus' Jesus's question about the lawfulness of doing good and saving life on the Sabbath should, be, should have been answered Yes, it is awful to do good in the saved life on the Sabbath, but notice how the Pharisees answered the question in our second event this morning in chapter 3. They remained silent, and their silence spoke loudly of the condition of their heart. The scripture tells us that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. He he desires mercy, not some strict or ritualistic adherence to a religious duty. Jesus was lawful in showing mercy. He was lawful in doing good by healing this man. But according to the standard of the Pharisees, he had violated the Sabbath he had violated the fourth commandment so what then was this tradition of the Pharisees how did they understand upholding the fourth commandment and we talked about with fasting for example that a tradition had developed about fasting well here our tradition had developed about the Sabbath to give guidance on how the Jewish people were to uphold and keep the fourth commandment and the, the pharisaical tradition understood or is based on the fact that the fourth commandment prohibited all work, not just work from your normal labor, but all work like turning on a light switch or pushing the button on an elevator. By the way, if you ever go to Jerusalem, it's the Sabbath day. Do not get on the elevator called the Shabbat elevator you automatically stop on every floor. Not advisable. Over time, the rabbis (coughs) had developed so get out your pencil and paper do do a little math here. I'm going to count on you doing this math right. (coughs) The rabbis had developed a catalog of 39 Principal works that are forbidden on the Sabbath. These thirty-nine principal works were further subdivided into six minor categories, which each had thirty-nine forbidden tasks, each amounting to two hundred and thirty-four minor works that were forbidden on the Sabbath. Carl, our engineer, is doing his math. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you get that? At least 234 minor ways that you could violate the Sabbath. So a man posted a question for Rabbi Leff. You heard of him? And this man was asking questions about using diapers with Velcro fasteners or tape fasteners. And the rabbi answered, hey, buddy, using Velcro is okay, but tape got a problem with it. Because whenever you tape the diaper shut, be it on the baby or after the baby, you create something that has been built, that, that tape fixes, the rabbi said, permanently. And you've built something by doing that. So Velcro diapers, go for it, okay on the Sabbath. But don't use those tape diapers, you'll be in violation of the Sabbath. This was one of 1,141 questions put to the rabbi between 2002 and 2005 to get guidance on how just a regular Jewish person might navigate all this complicated rules surrounding the pharisaical tradition on the Sabbath. The pharisaical tradition practiced in Jesus' day and that is followed in our day, I believe is rightly understood as a tyrant that is detrimental versus a blessing that is beneficial to God's people. The Pharisees in our past today appealed to man-made laws, not scripture, to govern their observance of the Sabbath. And they held everyone, including Jesus and his disciples, to their standard. The issues about the Sabbath Jesus faced were not about Velcro, not about tape diapers, but plucking grain and healing. The pharisaical accusations are from the same root, a tyrannical man-made set of rules that go well beyond the boundaries of Scripture. What God intended for blessing and benefit, the Pharisees, again, had turned into tyranny and ultimately, I believe, detriment to one's soul. Jesus, however, corrected these restrictive misinterpretations. And he corrected these strict, these strict misinterpretations because he had authority to do so. He had the authority to correct these misinterpretations and to demonstrate how the Sabbath was to be observed. And that he did. And he gave this principle. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, verse 28. Again, I go back to our Holy Land Uh, trip some years ago Renee and I enjoyed it so we we got this call that 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 the tour group wanted to to provide the the leaders of each of the tours with a special meal and I was included I was helping another pastor kind of lead this this trip and so Renee and I got to go to this special meal which I was really excited about and it was a it was a traditional Sabbath meal that 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 the Jewish people might eat and so we were brought into this this banquet room this hotel and we sat down and they were bringing the food out and I looked at it and I went oh my goodness it 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 was brown I noticed one thing that I said that looks like an egg but that egg is brown and I began to worry about this meal and so as this meal is is being given to us the the person that was the, the guest of honor was, was was telling us, this is a traditional Sabbath meal, you know, because of, of our understanding of the Sabbath day, i.e., our understanding of the Pharisaical tradition, uh, you can't do any work on Sunday, so the Jewish mother or whomever fixed the meal would, would put everything in this pot and start it before sundown on Friday, and it would just cook all night, and then everybody would just come and scoop their their portion out of that pot just to enjoy a meal together. Let me tell you something, it's the worst meal I've ever had. <laughs> Blessing and benefit? You've got to be kidding me. The, the only meal that might be worse was the hairy fish I ate in Uman, Ukraine when I was there with some other PCA pastors. In the matter of the disciples plucking grain, they were hungry. Versus Chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And Jesus corrected the tyrannical misinterpretation to allow for works of necessity required to satisfy one's hunger on the Sabbath. Again, our Lord asked a rhetorical question. He's a master at asking rhetorical questions in verse 25. And the point of this rhetorical question is basically to point out these Pharisees really didn't know their scriptures. Our Lord appealed to the, the bread of presence after a Sabbath, there'd be the new, well, for each Sabbath, a new and fresh bread would be, would be put on the, the table of presents there, and they would remain there until the end of the week before the next Sabbath, and then the priest would eat the bread, and then a new fresh batch would, would be put out. And David comes there with his men, and they're hungry, First Samuel 21, 1 through 6, that, that Jason read. But you may have noticed that there are two two issues that come up with this text. The first one is this, 1 Samuel 21 clearly identifies the priest as Halimelech, where in Mark's account, verse 26, it says, in the time of Abiathar the priest. And the apparent discrepancy is reconciled, understanding that Halimelech was Abiathar's father. He served as priests during this episode, the son Abiathar was likely there, but he was also more associated with David. And so when Mark used the phrase in the time of Abiathar, it was more to associate Abiathar and, El- and eliminate the priest, with King David. So no issues with scripture there. Secondly, the event in 1 Samuel 21 did not take place on the sabbath you may ask the question well, then why did Jesus appeal to an event that didn't take place on the sabbath because Jesus' appeal was not not with regard to the timing it was regards to the relationship the comparison of David and his men and Jesus and his disciples Jesus' point was to point out that that pious David did something that was forbidden. Only the priest could eat that bread after, well, before the next Sabbath and the new batch was, was put out. But yet, David did something that was forbidden and God did not condemn him for that. And Jesus uses this as, and appeals to this to show that works of necessity are allowable on the Sabbath. Even more, righteous Jesus allowing his men to do a work of necessity, hunger, he appeals to this event in First Samuel 21 to state that in effect, doing a work of necessity really is upholding the intent of the law to begin with. For the Pharisees are being very restrictive with regards to the law. Thus, works of necessity like preparing food and eating were allowable if you invite me over to your house and say we're going to have a traditional Sabbath meal, I'm not coming. (laughs) Then the matter of Jesus' healing on the Sabbath, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 3, the man with the withered hand needed mercy and Jesus acted out of mercy to restore this man's hand and free him from that bondage. The Pharisees allowed one to, to be healed on the Sabbath only if one's life was truly in danger. This man's life was not at stake. Often our lives are not at stake and we have some emergency that takes place and aren't we thankful when there's a first responder or there's a doctor or a nurse that is able to come to us on the sabbath day and minister mercy to us in our time of need even though our life is not at stake. Acts of mercy. Jesus showed that doing good by acting mercifully is not only allowed on the Sabbath but is laudable. It's what we should be doing. And not doing good is actually doing harm and not saving life or not enriching life is actually in effect killing the question he asked went unanswered. They remained silent. Verse 4. And our Lord responded to their silence in righteous anger over their strict adherence to a legal standard at the expense of a man who needed mercy. And our Lord was grieved over the hardness of their heart. Our Lord corrected their restrictive interpretation of the fourth commandment, he said, man come here and he healed that man's withered hand. And before we think too harshly of the Pharisees, let us be reminded of our own tendency to strictly hold to some religious practice or some ritualistic aspect at the expense of showing mercy to someone in need what I'm saying is this we can be just as hard hearted as the Pharisees when it comes to a self righteous grip on something that would be in the realm of sacrifice and God says what pleases me is mercy Jesus' healing on the occasion really reflects Deuteronomy 5 that we looked at earlier, that one of the basis of the fourth commandment is God showing mercy in redeeming Israel from bondage. Jesus delivered this man from the bondage of this withered hand that was useless and God showed mercy and made that hand useful if the Pharisees' silence was not enough to convict them of their hard-heartedness then verse 6 is they simply rejected Jesus' correction and counseled the text says with the Herodians that is those who supported Herod Antipas and were in line with him, that is the ruler of Galilee, and they conspired to put Jesus to death. I mean, can you, can you see the irony here? On the Sabbath, they accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath by doing good and enriching one's life, and yet they sought to conspire against Jesus to take his life. Is it lawful to do good or harm or to save life? apparently, plotting to kill Jesus was fine for the Sabbath. Once again, the hardness of a heart. Jesus, in verse 28, affirms his authority as Lord of the Sabbath. He has the authority to define the Sabbath. He has the authority to show and to demonstrate how the Sabbath is to be observed. He has the authority. Already to correct the Pharisees' restrictive interpretation, misinterpretation of the first, first, fourth commandment. As Lord of the Sabbath, He affirmed the original intent of the Sabbath, of the fourth commandment, was this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man was created first, then the Sabbath and was to be a blessing and a benefit not instituted as, a pharisaical, as the pharisaical tradition seems to be as a tyrant to man's detriment. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, corrected their restrictive tyrannical misinterpretation and he demonstrated how to observe the Sabbath specifically in works of necessity and mercy. That these things were indeed in line with observing the fourth commandment they were part of observing the sabbath day as a blessing and benefit and think of the blessing and benefit that man with the withered hand received from jesus on that sabbath day put yourself in his shoes and wouldn't you want someone to come and heal your hand even if it's the sabbath wouldn't you want to to come and resuscitate you if your heart stops? Wouldn't you want a policeman to come and protect you if your life was in danger? Wouldn't you want someone to show mercy to you? And aren't you glad that we can cook a good meal on the Sabbath? We can violate the Sabbath... by being too restrictive like the Pharisees or being unrestricted in treating the Sabbath, and treating Sunday like the other six days. And the text corrects both violations of the Sabbath and calls God's people to observe the Sabbath as a day of blessing and benefit. To see that the Lord's Day is indeed a safe harbor. A ship is safe in the harbor, roach Shed. But that's not what ships are built for. But the safe harbor is absolutely essential that that ship will be able to use for its intended function. And I suggest we view this... Similarly, the Sabbath as a safe harbor, a day when God's people find physical rest and spiritual rest by resting in our union with Christ. I mean we rest in the Lord's day as a special remembrance and, and recalling all that we have from Christ and in Christ in our union with Him. We are strengthened by gathering to worship, singing together hearing Scripture read, sitting under the preaching of God's Word, that we'll do in just a moment to be strengthened by these means of grace, coming together in, in prayer together. Think of the blessing and benefit that we receive as God's people on the Lord's Day as we come to corporate worship. It's a safe harbor. It's where we're refreshed, where we're prepared to set sail for the next six days. And we get to do it all over again next Lord's Day. Don't see the Lord's Day as a tyrannical way to keep you from doing what you want, to deter you from how you want to live your life. Turn from that. See it as a blessing and a benefit, a safe harbor for God to do a good work in you to prepare you to be His people in the coming week. The Sabbath is safe harbor, refreshes us in body and soul, assures us that, that God is God and that we are His people. It equips us, it strengthens us to take that voyage over the next six days, to be faithful to Him. The, the Sabbath day is a blessing and benefit because it realigns our priorities away from self and away from this world and a, away from a whole host of other things and aligns us with what? Seeking first the kingdom of God. We need that realignment every week, every Lord's Day. As we seek to set sail on Monday that we might seek first the kingdom of God until we come again on the Lord's Day to be refreshed and blessed with all the benefits of the country, all over again. May we observe the Christian Sabbath as a safe harbor for our blessing and benefit, not as a tyrant and a detriment. Let us pray, Father. I pray that as we come now to the table, having benefited from the means of means of grace, to the table, O oh Lord, may we may we indeed be refreshed as we come to this and as we continue in this day, this corporate worship aspect of this day, where we enjoy a safe harbor, a time to prepare us for the week ahead to be your people. Lord, bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you would,